Ephesians chapter 5. I want to preach to you this morning about God's Daylight Savings Program. If you, uh, if you get up early in the morning, you probably hate Daylight Savings, and I really don't know. I think America, the United States, is the only nation that does that in the world. I might be wrong about that, but it really is a silly thing. It really is a silly thing, but we're not going to talk about that this morning. Uh, God has a daylight savings program, and I recommend that you take advantage of it, and it's listed right here in Ephesians chapter 5. You find all kinds of things in the Bible, don't you? But let's take a look here. Let's pray, and then we'll read the scripture this morning. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us today, and Lord, we pray, God, that you'd be with us this morning as we endeavor to preach. I pray, God, that you'd help us, God, and speak to hearts this morning. Help me to preach as I ought to preach. God, I pray for your mercy, and Lord, I pray that you touch these people, God, this morning. Touch me, and God, we'll thank you, Lord, for everything that's said and done to you. Glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 5, and look in verse 6. The Bible says, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk. As children of the light, be who you are. That's what he's saying. Yeah. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it's a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest... Is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Now, you, I think you understand that when you're dealing with matters of day and night, the time that we have that we call day is the time where the light, the sun has come up during the day, and that's where you have light. I think you can understand that. So when it's light outside, that's daytime. And when it's dark outside, that's nighttime. Well, bear that in the back of your mind and then look with me right here in the context. Let me just point something out to you. It's something real easy to see. You've probably seen it in your own reading. I know I've seen it several times. But you look right here in verse 8. He says, for you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light. There's light. Walk as children of light. And then look down in verse 13. He said, For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. And then before that in the same verse, he says, All things that are approved are made manifest by the light. And so he keeps dealing with this thing over and over again about light, 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 light. And then up in verse 8, he says, For you were sometimes darkness. So you've got a little thing there to where, if you will, if you'll come with me in your mind and follow my train of thought, he's, he's really dealing with things that are relating to night and day. When somebody talks to you and they say, uh, well, you know, the difference between that guy and that guy is the difference between night and day. You ever heard somebody say that? I've heard my mother say that several times. I think I've said it several times. The difference between uh, this guy and this guy, it's the difference between night and day. Well, people don't say that just because they're, you know, just talking out their mouth. They're, they say that because they're trying to think of something that couldn't give you a more different thing to compare things with. That night and day stand on the far ends of the spectrum from each other. They are so far apart. I mean, when you walk into a building and it's pitch black outside, and then you walk into a building and all the lights are off, all the lights are off. Come in here at about 2 o'clock in the morning 
with all the lights off and these two security lights off. Come in here at night and see how well you like it. It's, it's weird, man. I, I don't like it. Brother Mike used to say that when, you know, he was, when he's here, and when he's here for revival, he stays in here at like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning praying. Not me, man. I want it light outside. You say, well, I ain't trying to run into nobody. Yes, sir, I've been in here at night and had somebody walk in on, the, walk in on me while I was in here at night. You say, what would you do? I had my pistol in my hand. Anyways, that's, that's a little warning. Don't come in here late after night without hollering, hey! <laughs> uh, but that's a difference. Is it not the difference? Walk in here at night and then all of a sudden you turn the lights on. And man, it's like night and day. It's, there's, it's such a vast difference. It's a, it's a vast difference of things. Well, he, he makes that statement there in the passage. And then in verse 16, he says, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Isn't that how you can tell time is by night and day? Listen, if you didn't have a timepiece, and if somebody hadn't bought a clock that was as big as the back wall, you wouldn't really know what time it was except for the fact that you look outside and you try to figure out where the sun is. That's, that's time. That's how you tell time. This is not this would be meaningless. This would really be meaningless unless there was a way that we could all set our clocks. Man, we live in such a weird age, man, because now you have this little computer that's about this big that slips into your pocket and you pull it out at any time and you can tell the time by that thing because it synchronizes with some big gadget that sets all the clocks for everywhere. But you know that thing has to have a way to tell to tell time. It has to have a way to, you say, how does it gauge time? It looks at where the sun is. It has, it has to figure out where the earth is in relation to the sun. That's how you tell time. Well, back when you were, before you had timepieces, before you had, you know, cell phones, somebody had to have a way to tell time. I'm, you didn't know you was going to come and get a history lesson. This is not really a history lesson. I'm just laying the foundation for the sermon. But somebody, they'd have these little things called sundials. This was before, you know, this was back in the age of dinosaurs and when Noah got off the ark. It was actually after Noah got off the ark because the Bible says it was the sundial of Ahaz. That was a king in Israel, by the way. God bless them Jews, by the way. You better leave them Jews alone. God's with them. But anyways, they had this sundial out here, and it was pointed in a particular direction. I, 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 don't, I don't remember it because I don't pay attention to that stuff. I have a watch and a cell phone, what I need to pay attention to that stuff for. But it was pointed in a particular direction, and it had a little triangular-looking piece, and wherever the sun was during the day, it would cast a shadow on that little sundial, and that's how you could tell what hour of the day it was. So... All I'm trying to get across to you is if you want to be able to tell time, if you want to be able to tell time, you can't do it without light. <clears throat> Let it be dark for 24 hours. You'll be lost as a softball in high weeds. Hey, you know there's coming a time in the tribulation to where the Bible says a portion of the sun is put out, which means it's going to increase the darkness. It's going to increase the amount of time. This is not part of the sermon, but it'd be something for you to think about. It's going to increase the amount of time of darkness on this earth. What's the Bible say in John chapter 3? Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Well, men love it so much that God's going to give it to them. Men love darkness, so God will just give them more of it. Hey, that's what you want? I'll let you have it. So he's going to reach up there and blot out a portion of the sun, and it'll be darker longer. You don't want to be here for that. 
You better get saved. But anyways, uh, so what he's looking at here in Ephesians chapter 5 is he's talking about this thing of, of having time. Now, what the United States government did, because they're so smart, is they said, well, we'll come up with a way to increase daylight. And that's not what they did. But that's what they want to do. That's what they wanted to do. What they were, what, and I, they didn't really say it that way. The whole concept was we want, to, we want to make it to where people, the majority of the population, has more time to get things accomplished in a day. So they don't, they're not God. Uh, congressmen really think that they have a lot of power that they don't have. That's what all this global warming stuff is about. You know, uh, you're going to destroy the ozone because you park your SUV outside, you know, and all the carbon dioxide is going to eat away at the ozone later. That's ridiculous. That's foolishness. But anyways, that's a different subject for a different time. But these folks think that they got all this power. So we're just going to increase the amount of time. But really what they did is they just shifted it an hour. So when you get into the spring, the clock goes forward. And when you get into the fall, it goes back. And when spring comes, you can always tell on a Sunday morning because the crowd's thinner. That's because people forgot to set it forward and they're still all visiting St. Mattress. That's right. Uh, but, you know, God has a daylight savings program. Did you know that? Listen, man's daylight savings program, he doesn't have the ability to create more time. All he has the ability to do is tell the citizens of the population, move your Watch, move your timepiece. We're going to play imaginary. We're going to play with our little Tonka trucks in the sandbox, and we're going to move the clock one way or another. That's all man has the ability to do. But God has the ability to actually increase time. God has the, listen, wouldn't it, have you ever, have you ever got up in the morning and worked from the time you got up all the way to evening? That's a rare thing now these days. <laughs> But you got up in the morning and worked all the way to the time that the sun got down and you sat around in your, in your big recliner in your living room and you sat around, sat around and thought, man, I got so much to do. And you said this, I've heard my mother and dad say it and I've said it, there just ain't enough hours in a day. You ever said that? Boy, that's a pain in the neck when you got a lot of stuff to do. That's really, that's. But really, it's a great blessing. I mean, at least you got something to keep you busy, keep you out of trouble. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Ain't that right? Well, listen, couldn't you, couldn't you think, listen, what if you, could, what if you could take 60 seconds and stretch it out and turn it into 90 seconds? What do you think you could get done in a day? You'd, you'd be wore out before the day was over. I don't, know how many, I don't know how many minutes are in a day. We could do some math, of which I'm not good at. I let some of you geniuses that are good at algebra and geometry and calculus figure all that stuff out. But you could sit around and figure that out and add an extra 30 seconds to the 60 seconds that are in every minute and every day and see how much extra time you got. That's, uh, that's a lot of t extra time. Well, man can't do that, can he? But you know God can do that. Hey, God, can, God did it. I remember there was a time in the Old Testament, there was a time in the Old Testament when Joshua got out there fighting against the enemies of the Lord, and he got out there and he was fighting, and he looked over at the sun and he said, Son, stand thou still. I think it was, he said, stand still in the valley of Agilon, and he turned and looked at the moon and said something to it, and the Bible said the Lord held those things still for an extra couple of hours that day, and Joshua used that extra time to whoop his enemies. That wasn't Joshua that said, hocus pocus, stand still. That was Joshua calling on his God and saying, God, I need some extra time to get some things accomplished. 
Now, let me ask you something. Don't you have a certain amount of time to your life? Now, you, you really don't know how much time you have, do you? You don't know how much time you have. The Bible says you've got your allotted three score and ten years. If by reason of strength you've got four score. Some folks live beyond four score. Some folks die when they're 90. I think I heard not too long ago somebody's family member in here, maybe a grandmother or something, a hundred and some years old. That's a long time to live. God bless you. That's a long time to live. Still being able to think and move and operate. I think I, my grandmother, my mother's mother, she's something like 94, 95 years old. That's a long time to live. But you don't know how, how long you got, do you? You don't know how long you got. Well, listen, let's say you had five years left. That's not very long. Let's say you had five years. What, think about all the stuff that you need to get accomplished. Now, some of you is thinking about work. Some of you is thinking about your family. And I, those are not bad things to think about. Well, what about your God? What about, I mean, I don't know what it is. I know some things that you need to get accomplished. But what about those things that you need to get accomplished for the Lord? Let me ask you something. Let me put it in perspective to you. Who's the last person you ever led to Christ? Hey, listen, I'm not trying to shame you. Like Paul said, I'm not trying to shame you, but as a father, I'm trying to warn you. Some of you never led anybody to Christ. Yeah. Amen. Don't you think you ought to do that before you die? Yeah. Don't you think you ought to? Don't you think? Listen, you can't take anything in this life with you to heaven, can you? All you can take is people. Yeah. You're not taking the clothes on your back. Listen. Let me put it in perspective. This is a little bit, you know, extreme, but it's true. Those people that are lying in a casket, they didn't dress themselves. Somebody did that for them. The undertaker did that for them. Nobody looked at their clothes and said, man, I want to be buried in a suit. Somebody made that decision. You're not taking the clothes on your back is what I'm trying to get across to you this morning. You're not taking your car you're not taking that Bible. You're not taking any of your possessions. The only thing that you can take with you is people that you won to Christ. Amen. People that you told about Jesus. That's the only thing you can take yeah. with you. And listen, some of you are going to go to heaven empty-handed, I'm afraid. Yeah. You're going to go to heaven empty-handed if you don't win somebody. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Okay, well, add on top of that sobering thought. That's what church is supposed to be about, by the way. We're supposed to give you things to think about that will bring you back to reality. You live in a realm all week to where you're watching television and playing games and, you know, enjoying your family. And really, really, you live in a dream world. And then you come to church and somebody stands up and says, what about folks that you're trying to win to Jesus? What have you, when's the last time you won somebody to the Lord? And it kind of shocks you, okay? To add insult to injury, if you will, to rub a little salt in that womb, let me ask you something. How much time you got left? Yeah. You don't know. I speak as a fool. God have mercy on us. Some of you might not be here tomorrow. Boy, I, I, I hope that's not true. I don't wish that on you. That's, but I'm trying to get you to see you don't, you don't have a promise of tomorrow. You know what you're running out of? Now listen, we're dealing with a God. We're dealing with a God that can reach over while Joshua is fighting against the enemies of the Lord. And we're dealing with a God that can take a couple of minutes and stretch it out into a couple of hours. 
Let's say you got five years left. That's not a whole lot of time. The older you get, the less it seems. The less time it really, five years doesn't seem like a whole lot of time. When you're five years old or ten years old, you talk about five years and you, oh man, it's going to be forever until I get my learner's permit. And then when you turn 40 or 45, I'm 35, and time is clipping off a whole lot faster than it used to. And I can only imagine that it gets faster the farther you go. What if, you had a, what if God could reach over there with the five years, if you had five years left? I don't know how much time you have left. What if you could get down on your knees and say, God, I pray that you'd take those five years that I have left and just stretch them out to where they'd be ten, ten years effectively. Stretch them out, Lord, to where they'd be 20 years effectively. You say, what is that? That's God's daylight savings program. God's taking daylight and he's stretching it out for you. That's what we're talking about in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Could, can't you say that about you? Can't, that say, can't you say that about where you live right now? The days that you're living in, they're evil. They're, they're, they're evil days, man. They're bad days. It's not that we walk around with a poochy lip and, oh, everything's bad. Man, there's plenty of things to enjoy in this life. You can enjoy your salvation. You can enjoy your family. You can enjoy the things that God's given to you. He said he gave you those things so that you can enjoy them freely. I'm not talking about that. But, man, in a very general sense, the days are evil, are they not? Well, you've got to redeem the time. Let me put it to you like this. Are you making good, good use of the time that you do have? You know what I get under conviction about, any, uh, about more than anything else in my own Christian life? I get under conviction about time that's wasted. That bothers me, man. And the thing that kills me is that I do it all the time. Waste time. Waste time. Waste time. Listen, you got a family that has to be provided for, and you're doing that. God told you to do that. That's not necessarily a waste of time. Right? But I know this. Reading your Bible is not time wasted. Prayer is not time wasted. Witnessing to somebody is not time wasted. You know why? Because godliness has promise of both the life that now is and the life that's to come. Brother Nathan, a man's got to eat, a man's got to provide for his family, a man's got to work a job, a man's got to have a place to live, a man has to have a car to drive. Well, I'd like for you to show me where all those verses are. The Bible does say that you've got to provide for your own. If you don't, you're worse than an infidel. But the Bible also says with food and raiment, therewith let us be content. Now listen, let's take, listen, let's take reading your Bible and praying, praying, witnessing, trying to win somebody to the Lord, trying to sow the seed of the Word of God in somebody's soul and life. Let's take that and hold that up next to trying to get a bite to eat, trying to improve the place where you live, trying to make yourself more comfortable in this place, trying to improve your marriage and your family relationships. Because God have mercy if you're not right with your family according to every emergent church preacher. If you're not right with your family... You're not right with God, which is foolish. Let me just run a little rabbit trail here right quick. The epitome of being right with God is not being right with your family. You should be right with your family. But get right with God and start praying about that and let God work those things out instead of bowing down to every whim of your in-laws and your outlaws and your wife and your husband. Listen, if you're a wife, you've got a responsibility to submit to your husband. I'm not talking about being a rebel, 
But what I'm talking about this morning is getting your priorities in the right place. Are they? Are your priorities in the right place this morning? Let's hold all this spiritual stuff that we've mentioned this morning and let's hold it up next to the stuff that is it's not evil, but it's carnal. It deals with the things of this world. It deals with things that relate to this life, and they go no further. They don't go any further than the grave. Let's hold those things up next to each other, and then let me ask you, are you redeeming the time? Are you buying it back? Listen, the things that you do over here, they have implications for eternity. Do they not? Godliness has promise of the life both which now is and that which is to come. It not only affects your life today, it affects your life after you die. It affects your life after the rapture. It affects things way out there in eternity. This stuff over here, where you live as far as your house is concerned, whether it's a one-story or a two-story building, whether it's a, a shack or whether it's a mansion, that stuff has no bearing on what's, what it's going to be for you out in eternity. It has no bearing. Whether you wear a suit and tie or whether you wear overalls, it has no bearing on eternity. That's what I was talking about this morning in Sunday school. See, Christianity has become a platform to, how can I impress this guy? That is not what it's about. Christianity is how do you get right with God? How do I get put right with the Lord? And you do that, by the way, through Jesus Christ. That's the only way you do it. But now what we're dealing with is a Christian who in their mind they have it. Well, I've got I to gotta take care of this and I've got to ha have this and I've got to make sure that my family's comfortable and I've got to make sure that my family fits in. I've got to make sure that this takes place and I've got to make sure that I get the next raise. I've got to make sure that I get that next contract. And the whole time, listen, the whole time, really what you're doing, really what you're doing is you're wasting time. So, Brother Nathan, are you saying that those things shouldn't be pursued? Hey, make sure your needs are met. God gave you the ability to work in labor. Yes, sir, God did that for a reason. God said you're supposed to labor. God said you let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Yes, sir, that's, that's right, that's good. But you know, a lot of folks are taking that so far, and really what they're doing is they're wasting time. Look over in Colossians chapter 1. Let me change direction just a little bit and try to get you to look at something right here. Look in Colossians chapter 1 and look in verse, uh, look in verse 9. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9, the Bible says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul said, we're praying for you. For what purpose? Verse 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. Let me ask you something. Is reading your Bible a good work? How about praying? How about witnessing? Is it, is it a good work? How about being in church every time the doors are open? Is it a good? Those are good works. Well, you could do those things and it would be good in and of itself. But how would you like to do those things and be fruitful in them? Hmm? Would you, do you just want to read your Bible because it's part of your routine? Or do you want to read your Bible and let God show you something? Do you want to pray because it's part of your routine? Or do you want to pray and get your prayers answered? Do you want to witness because that's what's expected of you? Or do you want to witness because you want to lead somebody to Christ? What we're talking about is just doing things or doing things and being fruitful. The difference between that is really the difference between whether you're redeeming the time or whether you're not. 
Listen, here's a guy who goes out and he works his job day after day after day after day after day. Now, it's kind of hard for you to imagine with the arrangement that things are in America because if you could just go work your job, if you just show up now in America and punch the clock, you get paid regardless of whether what you do or not. But that's not the way labor works. Real labor, when you go work, you have to produce something or you don't get the benefit of what you're trying to produce. So here's a guy who goes out and he tries to cut grass. Brother Tommy goes out and tries to cut grass. Brother Joe goes out, cuts grass, and he gets out there. They pull their mowers off the trailer, and they get out there, and lo and behold, all their spindles on their mower, it, it's, they're done. If I understand it right, that's the thing that makes the blade turn around. So all the spindles are done. You know what that means? No grass gets cut until the spindles are replaced. You know what that means? You don't get paid until the grass is cut. You see what I'm saying? What we're talking about is, hey, they went to work. They punched the clock, so to speak. They don't have a clock because they work for themselves. They punched the clock. But because the labor didn't get done, there's no income. Well, you know, I showed up. You know, I came to church, but I didn't really get anything. You know what you're doing? You're wasting time. You said, Brother Nathan, that's your fault. It's not my fault. Yeah. Hey, I won't remove that possibility. It's possible that the preacher's out of touch with God. But I've sat under a lot of fellows I thought was out of touch with God. But I sat under them and prayed and said, God, I, I want something. And God in his mercy, God being merciful to me, and I believe God being merciful to that preacher, God gave me something. Let him just say a little something and God said, right there, tweak my heart a little bit. Oh. That was good. I needed that. I thank you, Lord. Huh? Well, you know, I read my Bible this morning, but I didn't get anything. You know what you're doing? Yeah. You're wasting time. Hey, listen. I want God, I, every time, every time, every time I sit down and read my Bible, I want God to show me something. Every time. When I get up tomorrow morning, I don't know when you read your Bible during the day. You might do it at night. I do it best in the morning because that's when my mind is fresh. Nobody's talked to me. When I get up in the morning, I don't want to talk to nobody. Don't nobody mess with me. You say, why? Because I want to get in my room and read my Bible and talk to God first. I want to give, I, I, this, I'm not telling you this is a rule. I'm just telling you the way that I think, the way that I operate. I want to give God the first fruits of my day. I want to take the cream of my day and give that to the Lord. So, Brother Nathan, it's too early for me in the morning to do that with the Lord. Okay, then do it the best part of your day. Give the best part of your day to God. I'd hate to give the best that part of my day to my employer and not give it to God. That's true. Tithe off, off of the the first fruits of your increase. I don't believe that's just talking about money and possessions. I believe it'd be good to apply that to your time. Yeah. Take, take 10% of your day yeah. and give it to God. Yeah. Boy, that's good preaching. That's true. That's true. Brother Nathan, we don't believe in a tithe. Uh-huh, I bet you didn't. <clears throat> tithe is a good starting place. Boy, I just killed the spirit of the service there. But it's true. That's, that's true preaching. But, but anyways, I, every time I sit down with my Bible, I want to get something from God. I want to get something from God. 
Hey, every time, every time I get out on my knees and pray, I don't want to go too far. I don't want to go too far praying about a particular thing without seeing an answer to that prayer in some fashion. It blesses my heart when I get down and I pray about something and it's not too much longer down the road. I see God starting to stir around in that area that I was praying about. Boy, that is an encouragement. If I go too long without God stirring around in something that I'm not praying, that I am praying about, I get a little concerned. So, Brother Nathan, let me ask you something. When's the last time you ever had God answer one of your prayers? You said, Brother Nathan, it's been a long time. You know what you're doing? You're wasting time. You're wasting time. Now, let me ask you something. Are you satisfied with doing that? Is that what you want to do? Because if that's what you want to do, then you can just tune me out for the rest of the service. I say a couple of things and I'll let you go. And you just forget about everything that I said. But if you're concerned about wasting time, let me point some things out to you here in Ephesians chapter 5 that will help you not to waste time. You ready? Look, look here with me. Look here with me in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. I'm over in Colossians. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at what he says here in, in verse 8. He says, for ye were sometimes darkness. That's night, ain't it? Ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. That's daytime, ain't it? Light's day, ain't it? Okay, walk as children of light. Let me say, first of all, number one, if you don't want to waste time, get as much light as you can in your life. Light is day, is it not? Well, you say, Brother Nathan, I need my days lengthened. I need my days stretched out to where I've got more time to do things. Okay, well, God's not going to take a 24-hour day and turn it into 28 hours. But I'll tell you something that you could do that will help you get more accomplished in 24 hours, get as much light as you can in your life. You, he said, whatsoever doth make manifest is light. That's what he says later on in Ephesians chapter 5, ain't it? Whatsoever doth make manifest is light. It's bringing things out in the open. It's showing a thing for what it is. Here's a pair of overalls. Well, I'd be pretty silly if I said that this was a suit and tie. That's not, that's not a man messing around in the light. That's a man messing around in, a, in the dark. If I looked at these chairs and said, well, you know, this is a padded pew. Well, it's not a padded pew. They're chairs. Well, a fellow that calls it a padded pew, he's not messing around in the light. He's messing around in the dark. Well, see, what you need is you need light so that you can look at things and call them for what they really are. Let me ask you something. What's the will of God? Well, the Bible tells you what it is. There's several things that are the will of God. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 4, Paul said, hey, this fellow is praying for you and he's praying for you fervently. He's talking to the church at Colossae. He said, this guy's praying for you fervently so that you might stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. The will of God is not just a little section of things. It's a conglomerate of things. It's a collection of things. In everything, give thanks. Abstain from fornication. Those are things, those verses say right in the verses, for this is the will of God. When you open up your Bible and you see the Bible says, don't do this, make sure you do this, that's light. Well, I recommend getting as much light in your life as possible because what will happen if you don't, if you sit around and try to live life without light, if you try to walk, walk around in life without light, what you're doing is you're walking around in darkness. And you know what happens when you walk around in darkness? 
you step on a Lego. Well, my kids left out a Lego about a week ago, and I ain't never had so many bad words come to mind in my life. I didn't say any, so that it, it doesn't count. But I sure thought them. If you'd have wrote them down on a piece of paper, I'd have probably signed my name to it. Uh, I, was, I was upset. I got over it real fast. I, I say that all in jest, but boy, it hurt. It hurt bad. You know, when the, all the lights are off in the house and your wife moves the furniture out, my wife does not do that. Thank God. I'm satisfied. My mother used to move the furniture around like once a month. I don't know what that does. They call that, I think they call that nesting. That's weird. Yes, that's just strange to me. I don't understand it. But you know, mama or the wife moves the furniture around and you walk around and you're used to it being in one place and wham! And then all of a sudden, hallelujahs and let the glory roll comes off your tongue. Or something along those lines anyway. You say, what's going on? That's a man that's walking in the dark. That's what happens in life. You know what happens to a lot of Christians because they're not, they don't have enough light in their life? They run across something in their life and they stub their toe on something. And they say, who put that there? God did. What you're stubbing your toe up against a lot of times is the will of God. I just don't understand why this is happening. Well, if you had enough light in your life, you could see it. Would you stop and think about something with me for just a second this morning? Listen. There's four services a week. You say there's three. Okay, you take Sunday school and Sunday morning and put them together if you want. I won't argue with you about that. But there's Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That's four opportunities for a preacher to preach to you, teach you, whatever. Four. Four opportunities. And at best, he go. at best, at best, he goes an hour and a half. Some of you are wondering about that, but Wednesday night I preached an hour and 15 minutes. I surprised myself. At best he goes an hour and a half. That's six hours in a week. How many hours do you have total in a week? Some of you about nearly cry if a preacher preaches over an hour. Man, we need all of that time. I I try not to make it a habit to preach an hour or to preach over an hour, but... I'm not going to complain about it. I didn't complain about it when I was the guy sitting in the pew. You say, why? Because six hours, if he preaches an hour and a half every service, which he doesn't, usually an hour, that's four hours in a week compared to all of the other hours that you're sleeping, eating, working around reprobates and vexing your your, your soul with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Four hours just does not seem like enough to combat all of those other hours. You know how you have to supplement? You know how you have to supplement? You have to read. You have to pray. You have to get involved yourself. It's no wonder, listen, it's no wonder that people are sitting around scratching their heads saying, I don't know what to do. It's no wonder that people are picking up the phone and calling the preacher and say, Preacher, I'm faced with this. What do I do? Listen, I'm not making fun of you about that, but I will say this. A lot of those questions that you have for the preacher could be answered. If you just opened up the book and read for yourself. John said in Revelation 1, Blessed is he that read. If you want a blessing, read. I 
I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know which way I'm going. I'm not sure where I'm going. Hey, somebody help me out. Get some light in your life. Hey, turn the lights on. Turn the lights on. You turn the lights on, man, you won't be stumbling around in darkness. Jesus said in the book of John, he said, there's coming a day. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. The night cometh when no man can work. Why? How come folks can't get a whole lot accomplished for Jesus? Lights probably ain't on. Yes, sir. Lights probably ain't on. Yes, sir. Let me say this. Let, let me say this. Oh, oh, number two, look, look right here in verse 10. He said, well, look back in verse 9. He said, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proven what's acceptable unto the Lord. Verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Let, let me say this. If you want to redeem the time, watch your fellowship. Watch who you fellowship with. You know, a lot of folks wasting time because they're trying to have joint interest with works that are not conducive to Christianity. That's what he says. He said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. A lot of folks are fellowshipping with things that it's not conducive to Christianity. Hey, drinking beer is not conducive to Christianity. I just don't see nothing wrong with it. There's something wrong with it. But I can tell you this, however you want to look at it, it's not conducive to Christianity. Can't argue with that. Hey, Brother Tommy, I've never seen a fella pick up a beer bottle or a fifth of liquor. I've never seen anybody pick up a, a little thing of Jack Daniels. God have mercy if you drink whiskey. That is nasty stuff. I've never seen a fella pick up a bottle and drink it and come away a better Christian for it. Never. Never. Not one time. Let me ask you something. If you want to defend liquor, if you want to defend liquor, let's bring in, let's bring in a bunch of booze in here this morning. And let's everybody just drink until their heart's content. You think we'd have a better church or a worse church? Even the United States government recognizes that it's a problem for folks that want to drink and go out and drive. I don't understand. I don't understand how you can think that it's okay and normal for somebody to drink booze so long as they don't get behind the steering wheel. Well, why is it not okay for them to get behind the steering wheel? Well, it impairs their judgment. Driving is not the only important thing in life. There's a lot of other things that you have to have your judgment. You have to have your, your head on your shoulders reasonably in order to make good judgment calls. I don't care how you feel about it. It's not good. It's not right. It's going to hurt you. It's going to harm you. They're watching fellowship. You know what a lot of Christians are doing this morning? What a lot of Christians are going to do this week, they're going to slip around behind the back of a barn and they're going to take a little nip and they're going to get a little loose. That's what they do. They're trying to get loose. I got something that will loose you up real good. It's called the gospel. But they're trying to get loose. The Bible says a man does that. He does it because he's trying to forget his sorrow. I got something that will take care of that. It's right there in your lap. I mean it with all my heart. Listen. You can be real quiet this morning. But listen, I can tell you, uh, you're not going to run to a bottle and forget all your sorrow because as soon as you get sober, all that sorrow is going to come right back. If you run to Jesus, Jesus is the permanent solution for all your sorrow. Yes, sir. 
Yes, sir. A lot of folks are going to take a nip off the bottle. They're going to slip around behind the back of their shed or their barn. They're going to take a little nip off the bottle. And you know what they're doing? They're going to waste time. They're wasting time. That's time that you could be using to serve the Lord or read your Bible or pray. How about you try to pray while you're drunk? I'm going to take me a little sip off of liquor so I can get loose and pray really good. I ain't never seen one person ever do that. Huh? You ever tried to witness to somebody that was drunk? Can't reason with them. You think you're going to pray real... You ain't going to read your Bible real well while you're drunk. You ain't going to read your Bible real well. You ain't going to witness to nobody real, real well while you got the smell of liquor on your breath. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You better watch your fellowship. You better watch your fellowship. Let me say this. You better be careful about hanging around folks that do that and think it's okay. Oh, Brother Nathan, you're just being narrow-minded. You say whatever you want to say, but you keep hanging around that stuff and it won't be very long before your boy looks at it and says, well, you hung around somebody that did it all the time. What's wrong with it? Yes, sir. You do what you want to do. But you better watch your fellowship. You better watch your fellowship. Let me say this. People are a product of their influences. I don't, I don't watch you folks on a regular basis. I don't live at your house. I don't live at your house, but I know this. Who you are this morning, it's because of the, the, the things that you've allowed to influence you. Yes, it is. Yes, sir. The stuff that you watch on television, the stuff you listen to on the radio, the stuff you let come in on the news media, the things that are coming out of your mouth, you absorbed a whole lot more of that through right here and through right here. You got two eyes and two ears and one mouth. What's coming out is only half of what you've let come in. That's true. People are a product of their influences. Now, let me say this. Let me balance this out. This is not a call to isolation. Watching your fellowship, watching your influences, that's not a call to isolation. That doesn't mean that you sit in the back door somewhere, you sit in a back room somewhere like a monk in a monastery and say, well, you know, we just have to be separated. You know, we can't get around anybody that drinks. And, you know, we're just going to have... Well, if that's the case, listen, if you can't, if you can't walk past a person that's a drunkard, then, man, you might as well lock yourself in a room because they're everywhere. Hey, if you can't walk past a person who thinks homosexuality is okay and is one, you have to lock yourself in a room because it's everywhere now. Everybody thinks it's okay, it seems. It's not, but everybody thinks it is. This is not a call to isolation. You say, then what are you preaching about? I'm preaching about you being influenced by that stuff. Boy, I've taken a lot... I've taken a lot of heat for saying things like, hey, you know, a lot of these parents, you know, when they was raising kids that were my age, you know, our generation, well, they looked at a lot of stuff and said, it ain't right. And now that their own kids are grown and their kids are participating in the things that they used to say that, are, that weren't right, now they're looking at it and saying it's okay. And when I preach against that stuff, boy, I take a lot of flack. I take a lot of flack for that. And I'm okay with that. That's just not tooting my own horn. I'm just saying it, it just is. You know what that is? You know what that's all about? That's a question of influence. Listen, some of you folks, 
20 years ago, if you'd have saw somebody that was a drunkard, you'd have pointed at them with your kids sitting right next to you and said, that ain't right. But now that you've got a family member that's involved with that stuff, you justify it and act like it's okay because God have mercy if you make waves in your family over that stuff. And what's happened is you're not being the influencer, you're being influenced. That's what I'm talking about. What, what I'm talking about is you're not just being around somebody. Here's old Joe Blow down at the workshop and he's drinking. And well, hey, you know, I got to work next to him, but I ain't going over to his house. That's the mentality that you should have. Hey, I got to get along with him so that we can get a job done. But I'm not going to fellowship with him. I'm not going to share joint interests with him. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. You better watch your fellowship. 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 And then let me say this last of all. Look at what he says right here in verse 14. He says, wherefore? Well, look at verse 13. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore, he saith, wake up. Ain't that what he said? Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Hey, I want to redeem the time, brother Nathan. Wake up. My papa was a pastor over at Camden Baptist Church. He started that church years ago, and he died in 1998. I was a pretty young fella, 10 years old. August of 1998, he passed away. But I remember, because my mama told me that he said this, and I've heard him say it one time, if I remember right. I remember him saying, sleeping is the closest thing to death that you can get without actually dying. <clears throat> you know, for a fella that's got a lot to do, Sleep sure does seem like a waste of time. Ain't that right? Hey, man, if you've got a lot of stuff you've got to get accomplished, man, it really seems like, man, I can't afford to sleep. Some of you probably built to where you can't operate on less than eight hours of sleep. I feel like I'm that way. But you know what I'm finding more and more as I get older? I have to operate on less. Got to operate on six hours. Got to operate on four hours. Boy, you get around four hours a night, boy, you're about... <laughs> misfire but you say why because sleeping sure does seem like a waste of time you know what a lot of Christians is doing this morning they're wasting time you say why they're asleep they're asleep you say they're in church brother Nathan they're asleep brother Nathan they're reading their Bible they're asleep they're asleep are you you know what puts you to sleep sin you know what will put you to sleep? Just take your eyes and close them. You know what a lot of folks have done? They've closed their eyes to the truth. Read, it, read something in the Bible, and the Bible says it condemns what they're doing. They say, no, I don't believe that. You know what they did? They just closed their eyes. Do, do, me, do me a favor right now. This is kind of weird. I don't like this kind of stuff, but do me a favor. Close your eyes right, right quick. Close them. Close them. Keep them closed. Now open them. What did you see? What did you see? What did you see, Brother Dillon? You didn't see anything? Uh, you, you, saw, you saw light? That's not the thing you're supposed to see. <laughs> Don't go to the, light of the, to the light at the end of the tunnel. That's, that's bad news. You know what you saw? Nothing. Effectively. You saw nothing. Now close your eyes again. Open them. You know what you saw that time? The same thing. The same thing. 
Close them again. Close them again. One more time. Open them now. Now you know what you see? Some of you are about to fall asleep, ain't you? <laughs> you know what you saw that time? The same thing as you saw the first time and the second time. You know how I know Christians are asleep? Because they come to church and they sit in church and they say, it's so boring. It's the same thing every service. You're asleep. Last night I went to bed. <laughs> I actually slept in my big recliner. I laid down, I stretched out, and I closed my eyes. And you know what I saw last night? You say, you dream. No, I, no, I didn't. You know what I saw last night? I saw the same thing that I've been seeing ever since I've slept every night since I've been alive. Nothing. It's the same. Every time I go to sleep, it's the same. It's the same. It's the same. And a lot of Christians come to church and all they see is, here we go again. Brother Tommy's going to get up there and call on somebody to sing. And then we're going to stand up and sing three songs. And then we're going to take up an offering. And somebody might sing a special. And then Brother Sermon, yeah, Brother Sermon's going to preach a Nathan. Brother Nathan's going to preach a sermon. And then we're going to have an invitation and then we're going to go home. It's the same every service. 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 You know why you say that? Because you are asleep. You know the folks that are awake, the folks that are awake, God's dealing with their heart on a repeated basis. Something's always new. Hey, it's the same outward form. It's the same thing going on on the outside. But every morning, the Bible says in the book of Lamentations, your mercies are new Every, every morning, you wake up tomorrow morning, it's a little bit different. Man, you open up your Bible this morning, and what you saw today was a little bit different than what you saw yesterday. Same book, maybe read the same amount, maybe you read a different amount. Same Bible characters, it's the same God, it's the same Jesus, but things are different. Why? Because you're awake, you got your eyes open. See that woman? I've been married to her for 12 years. Seemed a lot longer than that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I was going to say 10 years. Oh, hey, I've been married to her for 12 years. You know what? I know that's the same lady that I married 12 years ago, but today she looks a little bit different. I know it's the same woman, but I've watched her change through the years. And I, I'm not just talking about physically. I'm talking about just our relationship, how things have changed. Yeah. Gotten better. Yeah. All joking aside, gotten better. Yeah. You know why? Because I'm not walking through my marriage asleep. Amen. You ever met somebody that's married but they're checked out? Yeah. They're not. They're married. They got the ring on their finger. They got the ball and chain around their ankle. But they're not present. You get involved, and man, it's like, hey, I actually like this woman I'm married to. Hey, I, you ladies would say, I'm not going to say it, but you ladies would say, hey, I actually like this fellow I'm married to. You're awake. Just go to sleep. Same old woman. My old lady. God help you if you call your wife an old lady. You're a reprobate. Whatever happened to the sense of honor in marriage? Marriage is honorable in all. That's what the Bible says, Hebrews 13. Whatever happened to that sense of honor about being married? 
fellas, it starts with you. Honor that gal. It's what First Peter tells you to do. Treat her with honor because she's the weaker vessel. Doesn't it say that? Mm -hmm. My old lady. My old man. You need to wake up. The reason you look at things and, I just hate this stuff. You know, some of you could go to work tomorrow morning. You could go to work tomorrow morning and actually enjoy it. I know that's hard to believe, but you could enjoy it. You know what the difference would be? If you wake up. Wake up. You might not. You might go to work tomorrow like the walking dead. Mm -hmm. Listen, when the Christian life gets to the place where it's all the same, the problem is you're asleep. You're asleep. Let me ask you something. Are you redeeming the time? I can tell you this. If you're asleep, if you're not watching your fellowship, if you don't have the lights turned on in your life, all you're doing is like Israel wandering around in the wilderness just killing time. Forty years they walked around. You know why God had them walk around in the wilderness in circles for 40 years? There was only one purpose. Only one purpose. It was so the folks that said God can't bring us in, it was so those folks could die out and God could bring their children into the land of promise. Just wandering around in the wilderness. You know what a lot of folks are doing as far as the Christian life is concerned? They're just wandering around in the wilderness. Where are you going? I don't know. Hey, what you trying to get accomplished for the Lord? I don't know. Don't you have any goals in life? I don't know. Man, I thought you said you were saved. I thought you said you had joy. I don't know. What do you know? What do I'm saved? Do you? You're wasting time. Father, help us, Lord, this morning. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts and deal with us. God, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, not to waste another five seconds, Lord, this morning. God, help us, Lord, to not waste another, another amount of any kind of time. But God, help us, Lord, to open our eyes. Lord, it's true, Lord, that we need to get busy. It is true, Lord, if we're not doing something, Lord, we need to do something. But God, there is preparation for that work. Lord, to know what needs to be done, Lord, to not get ourselves wrapped up with foolishness, Lord, to God, to be fully aware of what's going on around us. God, those things make for redeeming the time. I believe with all my heart, Lord, right there in Ephesians 5. God, I pray you'd help us this morning. Speak to our hearts and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now, some folks have come this morning. Listen, if God spoke to your heart, why don't you do business with the Lord? Why don't you get right with him? Why don't you get saved this morning? This morning be a fine morning to get saved. The Lord's willing to save you. Listen. If you're not saved this morning, you're wasting time. You're just waiting for the clock to tick down. You're just waiting for life to sweep by, only to go to hell at the end of the road. Jesus Christ died for your sins. If you'd put your faith and trust in him this morning, he'll save you. Why don't you come this morning? Why don't you come? If God spoke to your heart, why don't you come this morning?